Hello, this is Rodney Wittenberg. And this is David Heitler-Clevens. And welcome to Music for the New Revolution. This is David, and Rodney is here too. Yes, hi, David. Hi, Rodney. How are you doing? So I mentioned to you in asking you to do this that we're doing a podcast, but the theme is forgiveness. As soon as we thought about that theme, I thought of you in terms of both your music and a lot of the work you do outside of music. So I'm really glad that you agreed to do this with us. What got you started in your work in the prison? What was the way that that formed for you? Well, one of my dearest friends uh, who actually became, uh, I, I, I guess I, I became his friend through the fact that he was my spiritual advisor, is a Franciscan brother, David Schlatter. Brother David ran a street mission in Wilmington, Delaware called the Franciscan Center. And you didn't have to be Catholic to feel welcome there. As a matter of fact, it was open to anybody of any faith or no faith. But a lot of wonderful missions and ministries you know, had their home there. And one of them was New Beginnings, and that was basically David and Father Barry and some lay volunteers who would go into the state prison each week, not to preach a scripture or sign up people for Catholicism, but to just sit and talk and try to figure some stuff out. David used to say it was like... Uh, if you're planning to build a bookcase, you, you you need tools and you need materials and you need, you know, a drawing. You need some kind of a plan and, you, and some measurements and a trip to the hardware store. And, and so these guys are trying to take on a much bigger job, which is to leave prison and not go back in a state where the recidivism rate is over 70 percent. And so New Beginnings was to try to address that project in any way it could. And the center was being closed and David was being transferred. He's now the chaplain at the Walter Reed Medical Center in Silver Spring, Maryland. And he asked me to take over the group when, you know, when those guys left town. And I originally told him I felt like I was too good looking to go into prison. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was, you know, kind of being a smart ass because I didn't want to admit that the whole idea freaked me out a little bit. I'd never visited anyone in prison, never knew anyone in prison and didn't have any special training that I thought would make me of any use to anybody I'd meet there. You know, I'm a folk singer. There's probably no more useless vocation when it comes right down to it. I I, I kept saying no. I, I said no a couple times, and he kept asking. And, and, you know, I felt like I was being led that this was important that I go, go try to do this. And so for years, I did it on my own. I'd go in on Tuesday mornings when I wasn't on the road, and it was pretty grim. I mean, it was me very earnestly, you know, reading some appropriate newspaper magazine article or essay that I had called from the internet about this or that subject and being treated almost like a substitute middle school teacher, you know, with everything that entails. And and I knew I sucked at it and I knew that it was too important to just quit. So my intention was to find some other volunteer <laughs> to take over as the program so that I wouldn't be the one that killed it because I did believe that it was important. Like I said, David is my spiritual advisor, and I talked to him, and he said, you know, in the gospel, we're called to feed the hungry and heal the sick and visit the prisoner. That's not just a metaphor. That, that's, that's literal you know, stuff, and you're being given the chance to do this. And I remember taking issue with him, and I said, man, I can't heal nobody. You know, I can't 
I, I, if somebody's sick and I, you know, I can pray over them or whatever, they're still going to be sick. And he said, it doesn't say to cure the sick, it says to heal the sick. And you can heal somebody with a cold cup of water. You can heal somebody with a kind word. You can heal somebody by sharing a song. I mean, there's lots of ways to heal people. That's what you're called to go in there and do. And at that point, I started to look at the program differently. I, I tried to get the guys to invest in it. I said, this is your group. What do you guys want to talk about? Because I noticed every once in a while, we'd stray off the topic that I had preordained and somebody would say something unexpected where they just they stumbled onto the truth and i saw how people leaned into the truth and grabbed on and then these amazing discussions would you know that you hadn't planned uh, would evolve and so that's what new beginnings became it became a chance for people to just say what's on their heart and not get judged but get honest feedback and then uh, little by little i started attracting volunteers to the work and there was a fella named Tom Gallagher who taught sociology at Ursinus College. And he went in with me one night. And after we left the prison, he said, I've never seen that before. And I said, what? He said, men listening to each other. Uh, he said, it doesn't happen in our world. You know, he said, usually when men are, are being quiet, it's just because they're trying to think of what they're going to say when it's their turn. And he said, that's not what happens in your group. And Tom pointed out to me how mutually dignifying it is to just deeply listen to someone especially in a place where you're systematically stripped of your dignity. This place in this little circle with no correctional officers, no prison staff, just us guys sitting around talking, you you come to understand that the fact that you're listening to someone is lifting them somewhat off their knees. And it's mutually dignifying because you find that you have this power to heal somebody just by giving them your, your attention that way. So... That was about five or six years ago. A couple of the guys were getting out of prison. They asked if we could do it on the outside. We started meeting at a local coffee house. And then that became New Beginnings Next Step, which now works with returning citizens, guys coming out of prison for their first couple of years, helping them kind of make the transition. There's a couple songs that you were gracious enough to, to send me that we're going to play one or both of them as part of the podcast. So why don't we you know, talk about each of those a little bit? And maybe we could start with the song Mercy, which I believe is a pretty recent one for you, right? That's the title of my most recent album, which is more than a year out now. And it was a song that I was asked to write by a woman named Jennifer Thompson. Jennifer was the subject of a Frontline documentary some years back called What Jennifer Saw, which told the, the story of how she had been assaulted and picked the wrong man out of a police lineup. And her testimony sent a man named Ronald Cotton to prison for life. And Ronald served 11 years of that sentence before DNA was used to prove his innocence. And he was released from prison. And he kind of went looking for Jennifer to tell her that he had forgiven her. And his forgiveness had a profound effect on her life in a lot of wonderful ways. And they became best friends, and they wrote a book together called Picking Cotton, which told the story from both of their vantage points. It's just an amazing book, and it was a New York Times bestseller. And at the point Jennifer reached out to me, I had known her through my work in the abolition uh, movement regarding the death penalty. She reached out to me and asked if uh, if I would tell the story in song for, for uh, a film they were planning. So... That's kind of where it came from. I tried not to tell the story in a linear way, but more on a on a subterranean or an emotional level. 
so you were contacted by her. Did you ever meet either of the two people that you're you're talking about in the song? Oh yeah, Jennifer and I are, are dear friends. Like I said, I worked with her some in the abolition movement, and I appeared down at Chapel Hill, North Carolina, where she lives. She sponsored me down there for concerts. And I have never met Ronald, but I've known Jennifer for years. Long for peace and so your spirit Laid your anger down to stay free From your prison you forgave me Trapped within a heart that hated I too was incarcerated By scars someone else inflicted Never could I have predicted Mercy would save my life Cause mercy found me when I was thirsty For condemnation, mercy my salvation, mercy, for I could not ask for mercy. Redemption cried, you're worthy. Be blessed by this mercy and sweet forgiveness. Taken from me, fear and rage I felt helped numb me. To wounds even I could not see. To my very humanity, you reached, but I doubted when you told them you forgave me. Then you met me, and I realized that I saw within your eyes. Mercy saved my life because mercy taught me when I was thirsty. Retribution, mercy was my solution, mercy. He did not ask for mercy. Redemption cried, your worthy. Be blessed with this mercy and sweet forgiveness.
Did you find writing the song that you had to internalize what forgiveness was for you or what was your journey in creating the, the, the piece? That's a good question. The song actually helped me to embark on some interior work that I hadn't really owned up to or taken on at that point in my life. It helped me to kind of intellectualize my faith and my, my belief and, and why this was a necessary thing to do. But I hadn't at that point done the kind of internal inventory to see where it needed to go there in my own life. And that's, that's happened in the years since writing the song. So it was, it was kind of a song that I wrote and then found myself singing every night and then moved, uh, challenged to try to live up to. You said it had a profound effect on your friend. What was that effect and how did it change her life? Well, she talks about in the book how the emotional damage of the uh, assault left her in terrible fear and with a lot of rage that was directed towards Ronald. It needed uh, a focus, you know? And so she said that even as he protested his, his innocence, she just saw him as this liar, you know? And it made her even angrier that he tried to defend himself. So th all of this was diminishing the quality of her life, of her ability to do the things in her life that she was called to do. And when he forgave her, it also allowed her to step outside this terrible guilt that she was bearing because she was following the case. And when it was proven that she had made a mistake, a tragic mistake, she was bearing all that on top of everything else. You know, you can only imagine how much weight that would be. And Ronald's forgiveness enabled her to begin the, the process of forgiving the man who had raped her at knife point and held her captive. His forgiveness enabled her to begin the, the journey of forgiveness herself. Uh, you mentioned that it started the journey for you writing the song. When you perform the song now, do you find the different things in it that you wrote then that you didn't know that you were putting in there and also new things that it inspires in you now? Yeah, no, I think, well, I mean, I, I got to do this without sound like I'm patting myself on the back too much, but there are things in the song that as I sing them now, I understand them more than when I wrote them, which, you know, I'm kind of proud of the fact that I was able to, to get out in front of myself a little bit and understand where it was I, I needed to go before I was able to go there. I was in Gander Hill Prison just this morning working with the group that I run there, New Beginnings, and we are currently talking a great deal about forgiveness. And I shared with the guys that one of the things that used to infuriate me when I was struggling on that path was people telling me to just, you know, just let it go, let it go. And, and I'm thinking, let what go? I'm caught in a trap and you're saying, let the trap go. Like telling a coyote whose, whose leg has been caught in the jaws of this trap, you tell the coyote, well, let the trap go. You know, if you're in pain, that can really provoke a, a little bit of resentment or anger. And I found that, that that it had been happening in me a little bit. The metaphor that I eventually settled on was that I, that I was holding on to an anvil. I was at the bottom of a swimming pool and all I had to do was let go to float to the top. I was under the impression that I was chained to this thing. Turned out that there was a handle and I was holding on to it. So that was the end result of the process that began with, with the writing of the song for me. And, you know, it, it didn't happen all at once. It had a lot to do with 
the internal work that you got to undertake, a, a lot of intention was involved, a lot of failure, because <laughs> you know the hardest thing in the world to do is to say I'm going to try to do something that you don't believe you can actually accomplish, and then fall down on you know many times on your way to getting there. But being a folk singer, I'm I'm no, <laughs> I'm no stranger to failure, and and prayer actually. I mean, all those things went into it, and the work that I do with the the guys in prison. You know, one of the things about our group is I'm not, as a volunteer, as a facilitator, I'm not any smarter than anybody else in that room. I've I've been a lot luckier with some of the decisions that I've made. Um, But, you know, they expect to hear the truth out of me when it's my turn to talk. And so I was sharing with the guys the stuff that I was dealing with and talking about it very openly. And the times when I was about to give up, and throw in the towel. They were the ones who encouraged me and, and pushed me forward. So I tell people, you know, my, my spiritual advisors, a lot of them live behind bars, and I'm not really exaggerating at all. When you do the work with New Beginnings, do you ever use your music within that context, or is it more often kind of an inspiration for you to write songs outside of it? Uh, yeah, because it's a max, well, the, I'm in different prisons now because we've expanded, but the original venue was maximum security, so I'm not allowed to take my guitar into Gander Hill. So uh, occasionally when a song comes out of something the guys share with me and something I've learned through the discussion, I'd go back and sing it a cappella for them, which there's nothing that makes a group of predominantly African-American men more nervous than a a middle-aged white guy singing an a cappella folk song. Yeah, but but um, also, but I noticed that that nervousness dissipated like halfway through the first verse when they found out that I was really I had been listening, and I was trying to tell the truth, and then the medium at that point doesn't matter. You know, it's the truth that matters. My question for you goes back to the song, and looking at the lyrics, and I'm curious as to what your process was in in writing this song. Did you develop the lyrics first, or was it a combination of lyrics and music? And did you approach it like you would any of your other songs? Or was there something different that you did? I remember wanting it to be anthemic, to have some power, to convey the sense that forgiveness is a powerful thing, an empowering thing. You know, I, d- I didn't want it to be to sound too pretty, although forgiveness is certainly beautiful. And then as I told the story, I remember feeling like I wanted the cadence, the meter of the song, the lyrics in the verse to have a kind of uh, an unrelenting quality that, that they're coming at you, you know, that you become involved in in this process that's unfolding and takes you with it. Matter of fact, a, a pastor in New Jersey actually performed the song. He told me as part of his Advent uh, homily series. And he said, he said, those verses are like toboggan rides, <laughs> which I thought was just a great metaphor because, you, you, you know, that's exactly kind of what I was going for. You, it's a slippery slope, you know, but it, it, it takes you with it. So I remember wanting to do something like that, that you were pulled into this process if you were brave enough to climb to the top of that hill and look down. And that the chorus would be some, some kind of a release from the process musically. I think the song was probably influenced more by Springsteen than most of my writing. I'm not really sure what the connection 
was there, but I remember wanting to have saxophone on the song simply because uh, Bruce had been sitting on my shoulder a little bit in the writing, although it's m much more difficult for, for a local folk singer to find a, a saxophone player. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Does faith play a big part in what inspires you? It seems like it's all in the song and the things you were talking about. It seems like your faith is one of the things that drives you. Yeah, you know, I always kind of had a strong faith. It's kind of, I don't know, it's all, it's all been related. My, my music, the work in prison, my faith life have all kind of come together somehow. But it's not a certain kind of faith. It's just a, a belief in the beauty of the indwelling creator of, of everything that I'm finding more and more in the darkest places, in the marginalized, in the people that I meet who have been abandoned. I see so much spirit and compassion and hope. I remember even after the day after the election, I had to go into prison and I put on Facebook, I'm going somewhere where, where people don't judge each other for what they believe or the color of their skin or how much money they make. I'm going to prison because there's a brotherhood, at least in the men that come to New Beginnings, that is really incredibly beautiful and sustaining. Last week, one of our guys was being transferred to another prison. He'd been with us a couple of years. And he turned to a new guy who'd only been with us about a month and a half. And this new guy had lots of problems. I mean, when he came in, I thought, there's just so much going on with this fellow. I'm not sure we're going to be able to help him very much. You know, emotional issues, m mental health issues, financial issues, family issues. I mean, there's just so much he was carrying. And the guy that was leaving, he took off a digital watch, like a kind of rugged looking black plastic watch, which most of the inmates don't have watches. You have to buy them at the commissary. And when you're making 32 cents an hour, takes a long time to make enough to buy an overpriced wristwatch, you know. And he took off the watch and he said, you know, you told me you admired this. I want you to keep it now. I want you to put it on. And every time you look at it, I want you to remember how much I believe in you because I've seen how much you've grown and how much you've overcome since you started with our group. And this new fellow, his eyes just filled with tears, as, as did mine, you know. And he couldn't find words. His voice, you know, he's throwing the clutch in his throat because he couldn't find the gear. And a couple of the other guys said, man, let, let the tears come. There's no shame in that. And of course, I didn't need permission because they were already rolling down my face. But that's not an unusual thing. I've grown a lot closer to our Lord through this work than I, you know, so it's been an amazing gift. And one of the reasons I talk about it in my music and on stage, number one, I have to raise money for the guys coming out of prison because we give them bus passes and, and food like grocery store gift cards each week for the first year or two out of prison to kind of help them with the economic part of it. But what I want people to realize is what an ultimately selfish act it is to, to get involved in, in reaching out and helping other people because it, it feeds it feeds me more than it ever feeds them. So. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Could we ask you about the, the other song we were thinking about, which is Two Wolves? So maybe tell us a little bit about how that song came about. In a sense, that was like Brother David kept knocking and I kept saying, no, the, the Two Wolves thing, the, the story, I think I first heard from Marlo Guthrie. And I remember he told it either in, in a letter or from the stage, I can't remember now, but I remember thinking, what a great song that would make. And then one or two times since I heard it from Marlo, I heard it repeated. 
And every time I kept thinking, what a great song that would make, you know, but I never, you know, sat down with a guitar and wrote it. And then on September 11th, 2001, uh, about six or seven o'clock in the evening, I took a walk and I ended up in a little church not far from my house where they hadn't planned any services, but there was a big cardboard sign said we're open for business. And I walked in and the preacher came out and he told that story from the pulpit. And it was absolutely the the thing I needed to hear most in the world at that moment was don't feed the hate, you know, don't feed the revenge, don't feed the darker side of your, you know, the darker angels or whatever. And, you know, feed the better angels of your nature and your spirit. Um, so I went home and, and I wrote uh, that song that night. Grandson crying after school And discovered from the sobbing child That a playground bully had been cruel I wish that I could hurt him, said the child And when I get big, that's what I'll do
Child, do not fear this battle. Though each wolf will make the other bleed, it is in your power to choose the victor. The wolf that wins will be the one you feed. There are two wolves. There are two wolves. And within each heart, these two wolves fight. One is hatred, rage, and darkness. And the other wolf is love and fight. One is hatred, rage, and darkness. And the other wolf is love and light. So, you know, one thing contrasting these two songs, you talked about how the Mercy song, you didn't want it to be a linear narrative kind of thing. And this one is, is tells more of a story. Yeah, I wanted to be the storyteller. And everyone's heard the story at this point, so there's no real surprise in the song. Hopefully, it doesn't become a boring thing to listen to. I still open my shows with it because I feel like when we come together in a concert, that's kind of what it's about is feeding the good wolf, feeding the light in your spirit and love and community and all the good things that we get when we come together in live music settings. What we talk about in New Beginnings all the time is accountability, taking responsibility for your own, you know, shit. <laughs> um, God knows there's a lot of people who have been victimized in the world in our, by our society and justice is due and, and they have to call for it. But what what I have found is that the more you identify yourself as a victim, the more you give your power away. And so the more I get guys inside to take responsibility for the part they played in their own lives, the more power they're taking back, you know? Because if they just say, it's society, it's the white man, it's institutional racism, it's whatever it is, and there are so many valid challenges that I never had to face, you know? I would never have survived <laughs> the the upbringing that so many of my guys don't even think twice about. So they'd be perfectly within their rights to say, this ain't my fault. But by saying that, they're not taking up their own power. And so to the degree that they say, I played this part in bringing myself to this moment, that means I have the power to change the path that I'm on. And that's where I need them to stay because I need them to be strong enough to go out and be free. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting. I was thinking as you were saying that, that the reason the story works so well is wolves are powerful. And having the two different ones, one that's dark and one that's light, it, it encourages or you're, it sounds like in the song you're asking people to hold hold that power, like like to take the power of the light. Yeah, and to acknowledge that the other side lives in each of us. 
we're all human beings, so we all have the capacity to make the wrong decision. And, you know, in a sense, the song is binary because you get to choose between two sides. But in another sense, it's that we both contain the two sides, you know, so we're all more complicated than we like to believe sometimes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What are you going to feed is that? Exactly. So, yeah, so you take responsibility for your own spirit. And, you know, garbage in, garbage out. What are you feeding yourself today? You know, what, what are you reading? Who are you hanging with? I had a guy in prison say, you know, look around at the five people you spend the most time with and you'll get a pretty good idea of who you are, you know, as far as your values and, you know, what kind of human being you are. And I thought, wow, that's, that's pretty heavy. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I guess, is there anything you'd like to add about forgiveness before we uh, sign off? No, I probably said more than anybody needed to hear me say about it. There was a fellow today in the meeting, and he said, the more you talk about it, the angrier I get because I'm struggling and I can't get there. He said, you know, the best I can do is just pray that someday I'll get there. And I said, that's exactly, that's all you can ask of yourself. You know, if you have that intention, don't beat yourself up for anything else. I mean, that, that in and of itself is heroic. So if, if that's where you are, or even if you're just praying to get to the place where you have that intention, you know, wherever you are, don't judge yourself. You know, you're not supposed to be anybody other than who you are. You're not supposed to turn your back on what happened to you. Sometimes the wound is foundational. It's part of your identity and you're not asked to be someone else, but like a tree that grows rings around the rings around the rings as it gets stronger and stronger, you're asked kind of reimagine the future where you aren't just this wound, but you're you're stronger almost because of it, because you, you transcend it. Father Greg Boyle at, at Homeboy says, we either transcend or we transmit. So a lot of what's going on in the world is people transmitting that pain and, and forgiveness is trying to get to the place where you transcend it. That's great. Thank you very much. Thank you, John. All right, guys. Thank you. You've been listening to Music for the New Revolution. Music for the New Revolution is recorded at Melody Vision Studios in Plymouth Meeting, Pennsylvania. For more information about Music for the New Revolution, check out our website at musicforthenewrevolution.com. Like us on Facebook, follow our Twitter feed, and also our Spotify playlist. And you can support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash musicforthenewrevolution. Thanks for listening. The revolution will not be televised. The revolution will not be brought to you by Xerox in four parts without commercial interruptions. The revolution will not show you pictures of Nixon blowing a bugle and leading a charge by John Mitchell.